0: Hi, this is Glenn Wexler, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast.
1: Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now,
0: on with the show. You are simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I've ever met, Diggers. Why? Well, <laughs> because this is our 100th episode, friends. Uh, so I got to start with little Tina Turner. And of course, uh, I couldn't have done it without all of you. So, hey, you're simply the best. It's just Simple, (laughs) no business today, except to say, find everything at pantheonpodcast.com, uh, send tweets. If you'd like post on Facebook, uh, you can, uh, message me uh, directly. Um, my Twitter account is at Swain underscore Christian. So there you have it. All right. Um, first let me say that when, when I interviewed Gary Wright, in October of 2016, I had never interviewed anybody in my life. Um, but I, I thought I knew basically what to do, uh, you know, research the hell out of the subject and try to ask good questions. Um, sounds easy enough. Uh, and and I, I think I did pretty good uh, for never having done it uh, before. But I'll tell you, I've learned a lot in the previous 99 episodes. Um, and it's just kind of built from there. Um, I, um, I, I, I just I think this is a privilege and it's been fantastic getting to speak to all these people uh, and um, and present it to to you guys uh, out there. So first, let let me thank all the guests um, I've had in the first 99 shows, um, starting with Gary Wright. And and then the the Hillbenders, uh, guitarist Jimmy Blue, author Chris Formant, immigration attorney Leon Wilds, the cast of Million Dollar Quartet, Uh, the late, great Peggy Young, Uh, my friend, uh, journalist Jeff Slate, wavy gravy, Uh, guitarist Lawrence Juber, professor Charles Hughes, director Amir Barlev, bassist Tony Levin, Beach Boy archivists Mark Lynette and Alan Boyd, author Mike Morsch, uh, director Rachel Klein or Richard Lloyd of television, inventor Bob Heil, author Bill Bentley, drummer Omar Hakim, director Michelle Kath Sinclair, um, the late, great Hal Blaine, uh, author David Yaffe, uh, the people at NAM, uh, author uh, Ray uh, Wozniak. Um, John Kosh, um, PR man Tony McLeadies photographer Mick Rock, BTO, uh, and the Guess Who's, Randy Bachman, uh, twice, uh, journalist and author Robert Hilburn, uh, entrepreneur Amit Zappa, journalist and author Joel Selvin. Uh, Saxophone is Mindy Abair, uh, airplane and hot tuna guitarist Yorma Kalkinen, um, guitarist Wayne Kramer, author Stephen Hayden, Judas Priest, guitarist KK Downing, Alice Cooper's bassist Dennis Dunaway, um, my friends and fellow podcasters Sonny Pooney and Stephen Michael, guitarist Dave Davies of the Kinks. Uh, industry guru Bob Lefsetz, author Adrian Hart, producer Shelly Yakis, uh, producer John Simon, author Saul Austerlitz, author Meredith Oaks, Ed Jurdy from the Band of Heathens, author Mark Blake, author Andrew Grant Jackson, drummer Hunt Sales, author and ex-Apple Corps president Ken Mansfield, uh, Chris D of The Flesh Eaters, author and photographer Julian David Stone, music technologist and drummer David Frangione, author and new Pantheon host Brian Reisman, doo wop man Al Contrera, godfather of alt rock Tyson Meade, author Ian Winwood, author Jesse Jarnow, uh, the sweet as ever Maria Muldor author Jay Marshall Craig, author Ryan Walsh, author G.D. Pretorius, author David Brown, author and new Pantheon host Martin Popoff, author and hip-hop mogul Chris Schwartz, directors Molly Bernstein and Philip Dolan, songwriter Chip Taylor, producer Mark Howard, author Professor Evelyn McDonald. Uh, Executive Danny Goldberg, author Christopher McKittrick, author and drummer Will Birch, engineer producer Toby Scott, CEO of the Neil Young Archives Phil Baker, author Howard Soons, podcast host Jake Brennan, singer Liv Warfield, Pantheon podcast host Ty Listen, author and publicist Dennis McNally, uh, to many uh vocations to mention <laughs> Michael Nesmith, author Holly George Warren, photographers Bob Gruen, author Taylor Markarian, singer guitarist Alan Clark, author Sean Smith, author Ryan Sheeler, and Josh Legg of EDM's Gold Room. Thank each and every one of you for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh I had some great times. I learned so much. Um, you know, and, and, and some of these folks have actually become friends, uh, and cohorts. Um, it's, it's been a great ride, uh, for the last, uh, two plus years. I, I I wasn't sure I would even get here. Um, as you can see from this list, I am all over the place musically. My, my interest in music, uh, is as wide and as deep as I can go for you diggers, um, you know, one week it's uh, pop rock, uh, the next week it's some obscure, strange uh, r- hole that uh, hasn't been explored in a, in a, in a long time. Um, you know, I, I take my Monty Python seriously, and, and now for something completely different, right? Um, you know, a wide lens approach to understanding the subject of rock and roll fully. That, that's what this is about. Um, along with my companion show, Rock and Roll Archaeology. Well, you know, when you think about it, um, actually all the shows on the network are a university level curriculum of knowledge. Uh, Spend a few years with us diggers, uh, digesting all we have to offer and uh, earn a degree. Um, Hey, we might might need to start a lecture circuit. Actually, there's some some live concepts uh in the works all right let me also thank all all who have helped me get here within pantheon podcast um you know first is um uh peter ferrioli my my partner in crime who does most of the heavy lift booking the guests uh jerry danielson who does run the engineering department christy o'donnell uh, and leslie barker who have been doing the engineering Uh, richard evans who oversees my writing Uh, Aaron Alden, who uh, helped uh, book some of the guests, uh, provide a space to record, make connections, all kinds of things. Uh, uh, Also, Daryl Alber, the social media manager who gets the word out to all of you. And of course, uh, my wife, uh, Amy Black, uh, who uh, has afforded me the opportunity to do this and uh, is without doubt our biggest and number one cheerleader. All of you. Make the trains run on time. Well, uh, we made it to uh, to one hundred. Well, ninety nine. This this is one hundred. Uh, so, <laughs> let's do it. Let's get to building uh, the show to one thousand. <laughs>
2: The cornerstone church trying to curse my soul, but the good Lord give me that rock and roll.
0: Today. Uh, I have the chance to share another new kid entering the game. Well, he's been at it for a few years now, but he has a new album that is blowing up. And uh, we got the chance to speak to him about being called the savior of rock and roll. Uh, Marcus King is just 23 years old and uh, was raised in South Carolina and coming from a a family dedicated to the blues. Uh, Marcus took all of that and then built on it to create um, uh, what I think is a new wrinkle. He takes uh, the blues, uh, a little country western, and blue-eyed soul to get there. Um, He's a student, and that tells me we are just getting started with this kid. Expect a long career with this guy. Oh, and while he gets the big kudos on his guitar playing, which is very much deserved... It is his voice that strikes a chord with me. Um, sure, I'm a vocalist too, so keen uh, into that, but uh, he has some serious chops going on in those pipes. He can belt it out like a Janus or Otis, and he can bring it silky smooth like an Al Green or Eddie Kendricks. Um, he's a big draw in the jam band circuit, and that's no surprise with his kick-ass band. But uh, now he has a solo effort, uh, produced by Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys, and this sounds a, a bit different. Uh, it's a little more subdued, and the craftsmanship of the songwriting is really beginning to show. Um, there are some good cuts on this album. Obviously, The Well, which we played at the top here, is a kick-ass, uh, out-the-gate song, uh, with, uh, say you will uh, there as well. Uh, Wildflowers and wine is a is a personal favorite, and his beautiful stranger and break highlights that softer vocal I'm testifying about. Um, One day she's here is a great groover, while too much whiskey uh, reveals Marcus's uh, long-held country and western roots. Um, I can imagine a show with Marcus King is a barn burner and he has all the elements to uh, tell us a story throughout an entire show. Big openers, kill on the guitar, um, hits the big notes, brings it down and, uh, you know, full, in, full on fireworks at the end. A must see. Okay, enough of me and my shit. Uh, Four our 100th episode I give you the rising star, Marcus King.
2: She was surrounded while she was alone When in my house become less of a home She was so tired But her eyes remained open So much to see But her words remained unspoken Weep not for me my mind we're holding no peace. Rita carried so much weight. Nobody knew till it was too late. Rita is gone. She ain't
0: coming back in your lifetime. Welcome to Deeper Diggs in Rock, Marcus King. How you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I, I I know this is a ridiculous question to start with, but you know, how does it feel to be the savior of rock and roll?
3: <laughs> I don't uh, I don't know about that. I do I do like playing rock well, and
0: roll though. Well, may, maybe you, Sturgill Simpson, and Chris Stapleton. It could be the the you know the 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 father, son, and Holy Ghost, huh?
3: <laughs> I'm I'm honored to be uh, named along with those guys.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're uh, you're very quickly making a name for yourself uh, out there, and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, you uh, you play a mean guitar, and you uh, you come with a very interesting voice. So uh, we we uh, uh, look forward to uh, all that you have to offer, and we'll get into that here uh, as we go along. So you know, I usually ask about um, music in one's life, but you come from a long line of musicians. Your father and grandfather were pretty well known blues guitarists so i i kind of know the answer to that one but um you know definitely you were born to it but but since blues was the family tradition you know what what i want to know is what was the first record that you found all on your own away from the, the that family tradition uh man i'll never forget it i found
3: uh, a copy of robin trower uh, bridge of size oh yeah uh, okay yeah <laughs> I found a second-hand shop, and I thought uh, this was awful interesting. And uh, it sure enough was.
0: So it was, the, it was the guitar playing that got to you first.
3: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, ever since I, I can remember, I was fucking on something. My grandfather to a player, and my dad, you know, just like you mentioned, it was always around. And my grandfather was really... Uh, big into Chuck Berry and Chad Atkins, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, the original like, rock the original and roll. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and he played a lot of country and western music, and that's what we'd listen to. And my dad was, you know, um, more on the Hallman Brothers and uh, groups like that.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like you you got a little bit of all of that in uh, in that, uh, that gumbo that you're cooking up.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciate you saying that, man. That's how we that's kind of how we look at it every night. We like to just look at it like a gumbo and we're just stirring the pot.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, isn't that, you know, the, how music, uh, and, and most art, uh, progresses is, you know, you, you take, uh, the ingredients from the past, uh, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, uh, you mix it together in a new way. And that, that kind of creates a new sound. Uh,
3: yeah. Uh, that's what we, uh, That's how we kind of feel, you know, we don't, we've never really been able to categorize ourselves and we know what to call ourselves. So we're just kind of hoping that if we keep doing our thing, that somebody will come up with something catchy. (laughs)
0: I catch your name. Oh, I'll, I'll go working on that for you uh here. But yes. uh, yeah, yeah, I mean there you know there's elements of uh, you know obviously uh you know kind of starts with the blues and uh you know most of this music that we all love and listen to, you know, starts with the blues. But yeah, there there are elements of R&B, uh you know, I hear Otis and Solomon Burke in uh in what you're doing there. Uh you know, you mentioned the Allman Brothers uh and I think there's a bit of a connection there for you as well uh and um uh you know so you have that southern rock thing going on but yeah there's some some you know elements of country western i i, I think uh, you're you're really interested in you know the storytelling uh aspects of, of country western that seems to come out in your uh, your songs as well is is that is that kind of your go-to when you when you sit down to write lyrics man
3: i've never sat down um with a preconceived idea of what kind of song it's going to be, you know, I kind of allow the, the song to speak for itself.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, uh, lyrically, anyway, that's how I approach it. You know, I just, however that song needs to come out is how it's going to be. But, uh, along with a lot of the, the storytelling, uh, just like you mentioned, yeah, the country and Western aspect of it kind of shines through a bit more.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so you start off almost always with a tune, uh, probably plucking away on the guitar, and uh, and then you let it breathe, and then you kind of try to figure out what's what's the song saying to you, and how how the lyrics would fit into that. Is that is that about right?
3: Yeah, I mean that's one way to put it. You know, it, it's all, it really always varies uh, as far as how I'm writing or what comes first. You know, sometimes the melody may get stuck in my head, uh, sometimes lyrics just pop in and I just know I need to write it down because it's such a fleeting moment. I try to always have a notepad around or a guitar around I could use.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you, you started playing when you were uh, like uh, five or six, is that right? Or or maybe even younger than that, but I, I think you, you, you started playing live and out and about about the time you were eight, right?
3: That's right,
1: yeah.
0: So, uh, so this came naturally to you?
3: It was always something I felt that I... Just needed to do what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I never had any, uh, any other thought.
0: This was, this was plan A and there is no plan B. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I spoken like almost every, uh, the, the, the old school musicians I talked to, uh, uh, and asked the question, you know, uh, you know, how did they make it or how do you make it? It, uh, it all comes down to, well, there's just plan A and there ain't no plan B. So <laughs> it was either that or die. I love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> <Hallelujah>. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, I find it interesting. You, you, you got signed to Fantasy Records. Uh, you know, we're we're out of San Francisco. You know, that's an that's an old Bay Area company here, uh, noted for giving us uh, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival and uh, quite a few others. Uh, how's that been working for you?
3: Oh man, they're beautiful folks. I really, really respect the work that they do, and uh, and and really love the work they've done for me.
0: Good, good, good. Now, your first three albums, Soul Insight, Marcus King Band, and Carolina Confessions are regarded as a, a band effort, but this new record, El Dorado, is a solo album. Can you give us a sense of the difference uh, and why you felt the need to kind of stretch out on your own? Well,
3: the approach was different, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but when our Albert's working, he likes to have his band, you know, because I think he's just just like me where he feels more comfortable with his band and that's how I've always worked. And uh, it was kind of an opportunity that I couldn't really pass up, you know, mm. He and I really wanted to work together and he has kind of a, I don't want to call it a machine, but he's got such a system in place. And it's the reason that we were able to cut 18 songs in three days. Yeah. You know, that's pretty crazy. A, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 18 songs in three days. Thing.
0: Yeah, was was that start to finish? I mean, mix and everything.
3: Uh, that was uh more than enough songs. It was uh, pretty much we'd leave every night in the songs because when we lay them down, they'd have the room dialed in and the tones dialed in so perfectly that it would sound like a finished product. And we'd listen back at the end of the night.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so it just moved, like you said, moved along like a machine, huh?
3: Yeah. yeah he's really got an efficient system there
0: yeah yeah and you're talking about dan auerbach uh you know of the Black Keys and uh famously been you know producing a lot of great artists uh over the last few years uh and uh you uh you kind of hooked up with him I, and I think he kind of reached out to you right yeah he did
3: um he called me a couple of years ago and then from that you know we've just a really good friendship and a, a writing relationship mm hmm Mm-hmm. Finally, we did this record together.
0: Yeah, and and as you said, uh, you know, uh, uh, stepping away from the band, he liked using some of the folks that uh, that he was familiar with, and some of these guys are old timers with uh, some rather legendary resumes, huh?
3: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's astounding, you know, the amount of records that these guys have played on. You got Gene Crispin and Bobby Woods; they were in the Memphis Boys. And they played on uh, the Dusty Springfield, Son of a Preacher Man. Yeah. And they played on uh, uh, Suspicious Minds with Elvis Presley. They had a, quite a catalog behind them. We had Billy Sanford playing guitar. And his most notable effort was uh, he wrote a riff from Pretty Woman. So he, uh, <laughs> he offered quite a bit of uh,
0: That's rather fun become, stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They,
3: oh. they were all like 80, 80 years old, of the are so spry, and I, I couldn't keep up with them, you know?
0: Well, uh, you know, I, I what are you, 23 now? Some Somehow I yeah. think when you're 88, you're going to be just like him. I hope.
3: <laughs> I, don't know, I hope.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what What did you get working with uh, Dan Auerbach that you, you might have been missing with the, the previous efforts?
3: Well, I think it was a really fine uh, attention to uh, the production value of the record. And uh, and the way that we approached it uh, vocally was also a lot different than I'd had in the past. I was always kind of accustomed to singing as loudly as possible because I always had a lot of things to combat. You know, whether it be a loud bar, it be an inadequate PA system, and a loud band. <laughs> it was all these things. I, I just felt like I needed to belt at all. Get iron. over the
0: top of everything, right? Right. I know yeah, if feeling. you wanted
3: to be heard. So that's how my singing style was formed. And this time in the studio, you know, I was tired. We were recording a song called "Break," and I just kind of whispered it almost in you know, a falsetto.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And then that became kind of the—that's uh, how we wanted to do everything. Because it just gave a really subtle uh, and uh, it really let the songs come across as sincere as we hoped they would, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, so so what this did was, um, if I understand you right, is it allowed you to breathe a little bit uh, and get better connected to your voice.
3: It was a softer approach, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was it was meant to kind of invite people in. You know, because I've always, in my my approach, has always been more of a Janis Chaplin or a Luther Vandross. Just, uh, you know, belt
0: as big and bad, and bad <laughs> as you can.
3: Well, just like, you know, really getting people's attention. You know, this this record is meant to be a little more uh, charming, I suppose, and, and pull people in that way. Uh, at the risk of sounding, you know, any type of way, I just, uh, we wanted a softer approach.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's it's got some up tempo uh, songs on it still. Uh, you know, I, I I know you were uh, you know your a big hit in the jam band uh, scene over the last few years, and you know, yeah, that's uh, you know you know getting everybody to move their feet. And there's certainly some uh, some uh, quieter uh, moments uh, on this uh, on this album. In fact, I think uh, the the record has a lot of, of personal songs uh, on it, maybe more so than in previous uh, recordings, right?
3: Well, I had I had the great uh, opportunity to have these these co-writers at uh, at our disposal. Man, they were they were helping me write this record, and I was basically bringing in song ideas, uh, bringing in lyrics that I hadn't really felt comfortable writing yet, and I didn't feel established or uh, comfortable enough as a writer to fully get these points across and the things I was trying to say. And with their help uh because they're just really just architects man and they helped me really build a strong foundation of uh what the album would become and helped me really say these things uh as though i felt they needed to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh and you and you really dove deep into your life in the in the songs can can you give us an example of one of the tunes and and what the genesis of the song uh, was? I, I know you 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 talk a little bit about uh, mental health on on some and uh, uh, I, I am I am I right to, that I read that you, you you lost your first love to a car accident uh, when you were a kid.
3: Yeah, I was thirteen, and uh, she was thirteen. It was the first girl that I ever really cared for. Mm. Um, This girl in my class, dear friends, she was a really special person and she passed. And then after that, you know, there was a multitude of other things that really reminded me how important music is and how important it is to not repress those emotions, but to get them out in any outward way. And for me, it's music. And, uh, you know, in the years that followed, that was me kind of realizing that my music stood a chance to help other people, you know, because people like me, I choose to create, and, and some people like to listen to music when they're feeling down. I mean, hell, I'm I'm like that, too. Music can help you get through things, and uh, it, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing something a lot larger than myself, and music uh, really is a healing property, so Uh, It helped me. And on this record, you know, I I try to be as sincere as possible and it's the only way I know how to create is to to be vulnerable and uh,
0: transparent. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win.
2: And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package.
0: And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Well, that's definitely coming across on the the record. Uh, You can hear that. and, uh, I, I don't think that's too different than some of the, the previous, uh, efforts, uh, out there, all, all, although maybe a little brasher and a little bolder, you know, I, I, I think you're, you're, you're kind of an internal, uh, thought guy, uh, maybe, maybe even a little, a little introverted. And this allows you to like explode out of yourself, wouldn't you say?
3: I think that's a great way to put it, man. You know, I'm, I've always been pretty to myself and, uh introverted like you said but um
1: throw a throw a, Gib- throw a
0: gibson 335 in your hand and put you on stage and uh, a wild man comes out
3: <laughs> it's a it's a different it's a different feeling man i'm, I'm much more comfortable there than i am anywhere
0: else uh I, I know what you mean i know what you mean it uh for some reason it uh, it allows uh, some form of freedom that's kind of hard to explain to people uh you know but uh you know, it, it it at the same time, it's it's creating this connection and uh, and feedback uh, with the audience, both uh, both on record and and certainly live, right?
3: Yeah, that, you know, that's all we can really hope for is to uh, to resonate with the audiences, and uh, people are listening to what we have to say, and it's a it's just a blessing to be able to do
0: it. Yeah, yeah. So, does it does it feel different out on the road with this album? I, I, I'm I'm guessing the crowds are getting a little bigger and obviously the press is paying more attention. Is that feeling okay to you?
3: Man, it's feeling great. You know, I mean, we're just, I'm personally just really happy. I've, uh, I just try to stay as true to myself and, you know, I feel like people are starting to pick up on it and uh, I just feel so blessed to be able to do that. And I'm just doing what I love, you know, and people are starting to pay attention and, uh, I feel really, really
0: good about it. Yeah, you know, it sounded like you, you, now you you you've been on a lot of legendary stages. Stages, in fact, I think you just played the Fillmore here a couple of days ago in San Francisco. Um, but I can bet the one that sticks out most to you is the Grand Ole Opry. Is that did that sound about right?
3: Yeah, that was a uh, that was incredible. Um, I just uh, my grandfather, like I said, was a country and western performer. And his goal was always to, you know, play the opera stage. No yeah, play the
0: Ryman, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: And he was, uh, he was. He never you know, got to, huh? No, he didn't. So I did that one for him.
0: Is he still around?
3: Yeah, he passed when I was about 14. Oh,
0: man, that's too bad. I'm sure he would have loved to have seen that. Uh, I
3: felt that he was there with me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that I'm, that I'm sure, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're you're growing so quickly. When when are you going to be headlining Madison Square Garden?
3: <laughs> um, well, I know we'll we'll be there for the first time uh, later this year uh, with Chris Stapleton.
0: That's right. You're go, you're going on the road, Chris Stapleton, right?
3: Yeah. So that that'll be our first time playing there. But uh, uh, headlining, I think that may take a little while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah still still you get to you get to stand in there uh that hollowed hall uh that's that's pretty cool that'll be fun for you guys man talk about it. is it just the two of you or is there anybody else on that bill uh
3: i want to say that yolo would be playing first to three on that gig wow
0: what a what a show what a show I'll, I'll, i might have <laughs> to figure out a way to get to new york city for that one so hey i want to i, I want to talk a little bit about your equipment for our gearheads out there so I think you're you're using a Gibson ES-345 into a, an English orange amp, right?
3: Uh, yeah. So the, the orange amp that I'm using is uh, actually a, a design that was made here in America, um, and and it was designed down in Atlanta because I, I kind of gave them some notes. I said I want a little closer to fender circuitry with 6L6 tubes in it, and uh, I just want a really simple build, you know, volume trouble. And, um, uh, they obliged, man. It was a, it's a great sounding head. And I'm also running that stereo with a, a Fender Super Reverb.
0: Oh, you are with a, a Fender uh, Super. Okay. On the other side. So, uh, what, what drew you to the, to the Orange Amps? It's kind of unusual to see that, uh, uh these days.
3: Um, well, I mean, we when we started touring overseas a lot, I was using, uh, some boutique camps here mm-hmm. and um, we, you know it was a small uh, company and um, we'd always have to send it back to the small town and it uh it's really hard to yeah yeah you know when we went overseas we just always used orange because they had they'd been wanting to work with us for a while and uh finally i, I we were over there for a while and I got used to them and uh know the the uh convenience factor of Knowing if if one gets out, you know there's a backline company, or they'll send us another
0: one. Right, right. Oh yeah. So that makes it easier. So so it was it was a a practical reason uh, more so than a sonic reason. Although you worked with them to in, eventually to to have them build exactly what you wanted.
3: Yeah, and uh, they worked really closely with me on that, and uh, we uh, came up with a really great build that I'm proud of.
0: Yeah. 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 It creates a, you know, along with that, uh, that semi hollow body, it creates a, a, a great tone, uh, out there. And I think your, your Gibson is an ES three forty five, And, a, and I understand that, uh, that's got a special story to it.
3: Yeah. Uh, it was my grandfather's and one I'm using right now is a replica that Gibson made with me. And, uh, they, they really, uh, Jim Willard at Gibson, uh, this is before uh the Memphis plant uh uh ceased to be there. And I left it with Jim Jim Willard for a couple of weeks and he really skepted his guitar and, and made a really really ace uh replica. hmm hmm
0: hmm So so it's a replica of your grandfather's guitar. Uh but you I think you did get your grandfather it was lost and it and it and and somebody got it back for you?
3: Um But, uh, so there's stories there within that. So, um, my grandfather's guitar has always been in the family. It's it's never gone missing, but, um, there was a guitar that was close to me as a kid and, uh, it was given to someone else in the family. And I just assumed that it was gone forever. You know, I never thought I'd see it again. And my father never realized how important the guitar was to me and it's just. It's just the first memory i have of an instrument you know, that was this guitar and they they reclaimed it for me and they got it and it was a housewarming gift and it was an epiphone el dorado and uh being reconnected with that guitar was partially what led me to naming uh
0: my it's album, album el dorado okay all right that, so that's what i was going to ask where where did the name come from and well, now we know came from the guitar Uh very cool very cool now yeah now uh, you know everybody talks about your guitar skills and uh uh, to me it's you just you got this great voice uh you know you can as you said especially in the earlier albums uh you know belt the shit out of it uh all uh janice or, or otis or somebody like that and and now you've got this sweet falsetto you know I, i'd say you were born with the voice of a 55 year old black gentleman that's uh, seen far too much and uh, just needs to cry about it at the nearest crossroads <laughs>
3: that's very that's very kind of you man i uh I think a lot of it's attributed to uh, when I was a kid. I, I took a long time—not uh, a long time—but I I made a concerted effort to listen to less guitar players because what I saw happening, you know, from an early age, was I saw a lot of a lot of cats kind of becoming just watered-down versions of their favorite players, you know, oh. and uh, things were starting to become a little diluted to my ears, and I didn't want that for my playing, so I decided. I want to catch inspiration from other places. And so what I'd listen to is like Janis Joplin or James Brown, and Otis Redding, like you mentioned. And um, I'd listen to these cats, like Sam Cook and listen to their phrasing vocally. Um, and James Dewar became a big part of that too. The bass player and singer for Robin Trower. And I'd listen to all these cats. And, and then when I started singing, you know, that's kind of how I approached it. Cause that's what I knew. And that's where I, uh a lot of inspiration from uh, just phrasing the last for guitar. And, you know, it kind of internally, when I started singing, it came out that way. Or as close as I could get.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh a, a very famous engineer, Shelly Yakis, once said to me, he goes, if, if you, if you want to know how to make it in this business, go and find out who your heroes' heroes are. Uh, Marcus. Not only have you found out who your heroes heroes are, but at your age, you're you're finding out who your heroes 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 are. Uh so that's pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's
3: important to go all the way back. It yeah. is.
0: It is. And and you know, and and you know, you you're you're young enough that you know you can get on the internet and find all that stuff pretty easily, uh, and uh, begin to connect the dots and and find uh, you know what where the the trail leads to the to the the next guy and the next guy and the guy after that. Uh, And I'm sure you spend a lot of time uh, researching, uh, you know, this, uh, this, this blues guitar uh, uh, craft that, uh, you know, is now uh, about a hundred years old.
3: Yeah, man. I mean, it's so, how how crazy is that? I mean, a hundred years is not a very long time,
1: you know,
3: it's really not. And uh, it's just, it's incredible to trace back the lineage all the way back to Sunhouse and, all the cats that were really laying it down book of white it's just a it's a blessing to to have this uh technology as a, at our disposal to be able to look back and and see what was happening
0: yeah yeah it's and it's it's great to see uh, you know a young kid like you uh you know go to that well and and then find something new because uh, that's the hard thing today uh you know sonically especially. Uh, you know, you know we, 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 we've been doing this rock and roll thing for 60 years now. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, at the beginning, you know, it was easy to impress some, somebody with, uh, you know, like those four guys from Liverpool that put a sitar into a song. You know, but uh, you can't do that anymore. It's, uh, it's kind of hard. And especially with, you know, acoustic or you know, electrified acoustic instruments like an electric guitar versus the computer. So I, I, I tip my hat to you to, to be able to find, you know, between your voice and your guitar playing uh this kind of really interesting cool sound i mean you know when i started listening to you uh you know i I immediately uh started humming your tunes so you must be doing something right
3: (laughs) oh man i appreciate that Um, we uh we just like to play that's about as simple as i can put it
1: yeah
0: every day all right so so okay you know where do you see yourself when you get to be the uh, said fifty-five-year-old Marcus King?
3: <laughs> Hopefully, uh, just relaxed and uh, still playing, you know. Out, out, out there,
0: me. like maybe i still out there like uh, Buddy Guy or hell, even BB King, who uh, you know played until just a couple of weeks before he went went to, to the other side, huh?
3: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the beauty of it, man. It's a lot of this can be hard work, but one aspect of it the actual performance side of it is the part that you love. And I guess the whole work ethic behind it right now is we're really, really grounding it out right now. And we're on the road, you know, over 215 days a year. And we, we do that because when we get older and we're all gray headed, you know, <laughs> we want to be able to yeah. tour as comfortably as possible. Yeah. And, uh, the, the touring, you know, uh, it's, it's not ethical to play less than five or six days a week, you know, because you get this massive bus to pay for. There's an extreme amount of overhead. But the idea is to look hard now and later. You know, we just have to worry about playing. And whether it be just one show <laughs> every now and then.
0: Yeah, follow. I just,
3: follow. I just like it. To-
0: Follow what uh, the the Rolling Stones do. Uh, they just announced their uh, their their latest American leg of their uh, of their tour, and the shows are every four days. So <laughs> that's what you have to look forward but, to when you get close to eighty. It takes a couple of days in between to uh, recharge.
3: That's a prime example of what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, you know, you, I'm sorry. Yeah, right now we have the energy to do yeah. it, so we're yeah. going to keep doing
0: it till we can't. You do. You do. You do. Well. Uh, Marcus King, man, we, we wish you uh, the utmost uh, success and uh, lots of respect towards you. Thanks so much for being with us on Deeper Digs and Rock today. Thank you so much
3: for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Marcus, a real pleasure having you on the show uh, and to make it number 100. Uh, now, you guys tell me that kid doesn't have an old soul. He is something special, diggers. Keep a close eye on him. Uh, and if he is near your town, <laughs> go see him. Uh, at least go out and get Eldorado, the first solo album by Marcus King. And of course, find all the Marcus King band tracks all available wherever you get your, uh, tunes. Okay, so, um, thought of the week is that maybe there is some life after all. Not, not bad for episode 100. Um, you know, see The Who, which we spoke to, uh, now, uh, Marcus, uh, and up-and-coming rockers in a show that you'll, you'll hear in a few weeks, um, uh, from a duo called Bones UK, are maybe giving me hope that uh, rock and roll just might be making another comeback. Yeah, it's coming back from the dead like a fucking zombie. Uh, Well... Will it be enough to make the billboard pop charts and become something worth talking about to the casual listener? I I don't know. Um, But it sure seems like something very cool is bubbling just beneath the surface. Just when you think rock is dead, it seems to show at least a little life and actually has returned bigger than ever in the past. I'd, uh, I'd be really surprised if in the next few years we are talking about some new golden age of rock and roll, but I do think it may be more interesting today than it has been for, for a long while. And I think it all starts with the fact that uh, we are living in an age where the live experience is something far more uh, than one finds on the record. Um, It is certainly here where rock can exceed some of its competition. Uh, If you want to see something that is ballsy, big, and authentic... I'm not sure other music forms can beat the rock and roll experience. You know, sure, pop princesses with their huge tours and dances and all that special effects are, you know, pretty spectacular, but rather soulless. Uh, hip-hop is street level um, and uh, full of authenticity and uh, with the right, uh, the right performers. Um, but, you know, one guy in a mic with a DJ um, it doesn't seem to work real well when you scale up to bigger arenas. Um, But getting three, four, five or more highly trained musicians on stage working together is a sight to be seen and a sound to be heard. Uh, It still rattles your bone and punches you in the gut, especially if the artists up there are authentic and really trying to do something different. You can't beat it. Um, It's still the most democratized music around. Anyone can do it with about three chords and you can go from there. Uh, Marcus King, has all of that in spades. Uh, Okay, happy 100th episode to me. Uh, We will get back to regularly scheduled programming next week. Uh, Please come on back and help me get to episode 1000. Until then, as always, for 100 now, keep up the rocking.
2: Wildflowers and wildflowers Record plays in the background of our lives. We're still here dancing after all this time, wildflowers. Evergreen green A golden sun Like I've never seen I picked them one At a time and
1: Deeper Digs in Rocks Produced and hosted by Christian Swain All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at R&R Archaeology. Tweet us at RR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and
0: that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.